0: We are disciples of Christ, a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. As part of the one body of Christ, we welcome all to the Lord's table as God has welcomed us. That is the identity statement of our denomination, the Christian Church, parentheses, disciples of Christ. And over the next five weeks, this week, and the next four weeks, rather, uh, we're going to break that statement apart to look at a few of the words uh, within it and to figure out what it means for us as disciples in this place, in Norwalk, in this community. But before we get into those specific themes, I thought we should just spend some time this week figuring out who we are in the first place. If you're like most members of the Christian church Disciples of Christ, you haven't a clue what that even means. For many of us, we're pretty sure what we're not, but we're not that sure what we actually are. Now, if you went to Sunday school class today, then you're already way ahead. And to you, Sunday school skippers, you better come next week and it'll all be okay. But it gives us a chance to explore some of these themes in a deeper way, more than we can do in our worship. But for This morning, for now, I want to take you back, well, really to the Great Smoky Mountains uh, that we just sung from, to the American frontier. It was the first part of the 19th century, and America was experiencing a religious revival known in the history books today as the Second Great Awakening. Throughout the country, people were finding their faith renewed as they would travel together to these great religious revivals, camp meetings, where they would come as families, traveling for weeks sometimes or months, to spend weeks and months together to worship and to live together, to camp out, to share life. And one of the largest of those revivals happened in Kentucky, in the little town known as Cane Ridge. And it was organized by a Presbyterian pastor named Barton W. Stone. Now people of all Christian backgrounds would come to these revivals and Cane Ridge was no exception. They were Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and all kinds of different Christians gathered together. But something was different about this gathering in Cane Ridge. Stone was committed that this would be an ecumenical gathering, that is, a place where Christians of all different backgrounds could come together, could worship together. Though they wore different names, they could come as one under Christ. Now, in those days, in Presbyterian churches like Stone's, in order to receive communion, you would have to have a token and you could still find some of these. They have them in different archives today. These communion tokens, which was your coin, your admission to the Lord's table. And you were given that token by a minister if your life was worthy or you believed the right things. You were the right kind of Christian. You got a token and that was your price to pay to come to Christ's table. Well, this practice over time began to sicken Barton Stone. Who believed that at the Lord's table everyone should be welcomed. And so at Cain Ridge, as Christians all from various backgrounds gathered together, there were no tokens. Everyone was invited to worship together. At the same table were people from various backgrounds and no Christian background at all, worshiping together, sharing in the body and blood of Christ. And after the revival ended, Stone and his colleagues were changed. By this experience, no longer could they return to their practices as they had before. And so they gathered together the churches, which were known in that area as the Springfield Presbytery. And they decided that for the cause of Christian unity, that they must abandon all these sectarian practices and even leave their denomination altogether and become simply Christians. They could not, after this experience of revival, go back to the way things were. So they gathered together and wrote down their commitment in what became one of our founding documents as a church. The last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. We like clunky names in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. What last wills and testament. When do we write these? When do we read these? At death. And that is what they saw themselves proceeding over, the death of their church. They wrote, we will that this body die, be dissolved, and seek into union with the body of Christ at large. For there is but one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope." And from then on, they would no longer call themselves Presbyterians, but simply Christians. And their church was a Christian church. Within literally a few weeks of this event, two men arrived on the shores of the United States. Thomas Campbell and his son, Alexander Campbell, Presbyterian ministers from Scotland, arriving to connect with a group of religious reformers in a small community called Washington Pennsylvania. They were very brilliant, the Campbells, and they soon became leaders of this group they intended to join. And together they formed a church called the Brush Run Church, which at the time was associated with Baptists. But they had left religious sectarianism in Scotland. That's why they had left. They were tired of the divisions and they thought the United States was the place where things were happening, where God was making something new, and perhaps even the church could be reborn again as one church, not a divided church. And so they were audacious, the Campbells. They thought their little church in Pennsylvania could spur a global movement of Christian unity. And soon they saw that even their label Baptist or Presbyterian was too much. And so they shed the labels and simply called themselves disciples of Christ, using the term that Christ referred to his disciples by in the Gospels. All they wanted to be were followers of Jesus. Thomas Campbell drafted their founding document, and using the clunky, lofty language of his day, he called it the Declaration and Address. Because why not, right? And the United States had just written the Declaration of Independence. This was their declaration, their Declaration of Freedom. And so he wrote, we believe that the church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. He sounds smart, doesn't he? Consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ. So in layperson's terms, we believe that Christ's church even though it's divided, is at its core, always and forever will be one church. In spite of the differences, we are one church and our mission is to make that unity real and visible. Both Stone and Campbell in two very different places from various backgrounds, believing different things, both came to the same conclusion, independent of one another. Theirs was a day when competition among Christians was everywhere, where creeds were used as weapons of division, where pastors believed their role was to decide who believed the right things and who was wrong and only admit the right ones to the Lord's table. Each one independently of themselves founded their own movements for unity. Now talk about naive. Christians united I mean, really, if there's anything we Christians can do, it's fight and divide. I remember growing up in a church as a kid and witnessing two old men in our church, people I had always respected, argue during a church meeting over who had the most integrity. And I even knew then that there was something not quite right with that. We church folk know how to split hairs and fight about the pieces, it's no wonder that people want nothing to do with church. Can you imagine somebody like Stone or Campbell walking among us today calling for Christian unity? It seems bold, almost ridiculous. Both lived during a time when they had seen their own world divided by religion, where people would even take up arms to fight for their religious and political causes, Yet in spite of these differences, they both serve the same Christ, the Christ who they believe and they knew prayed in the garden on the night he was betrayed. The words that Andy just read that Christians, that disciples of Christ would be one as you and I are one. That was Jesus's prayer. And Stone and Campbell believed with their whole heart that Christian unity wasn't just a motto or a side distraction for the church. It was Jesus's final wish. And it was the very mission of the church on this earth. Fast forward 30 or so years from those early moments. And these two groups started by Stone and Campbell began to spread around the country and they would bump into each other. Every once in a while, Stone and Campbell began corresponding in their journals that they had, and they would debate different theological issues, and they disagreed pretty significantly. And yet they saw that they both were about the same thing, Christian unity, and all those differences could be put aside for that cause. So on December 31st, in the year 1831, Barton Stone traveled to Lexington, Kentucky, to meet with a man named Raccoon John Smith, who was a colleague of Alexander Campbell. Campbell could not make it because of personal reasons. And so he sent, literally, that's the guy's name, Raccoon. Uh, And he supposedly wore a raccoon skin cap because why wouldn't you, right? Uh, Marty, can we name this kid Raccoon? No, okay, sorry, (laughs) moving on. Perhaps you can name your child Raccoon. And though they had many things they did not agree on, had they stood there and focused on those, they probably could have fought into the new year. But they knew that they could be united, that that is what they should do. And so on that day, New Year's Eve, 1831, these two men shook hands, which was symbolic of the unity between these two movements movements that had set out to be about Christian unity, now uniting together for the cause. As news spread of this union, some were overjoyed. And some, well, some didn't like it, as you can imagine. They believed that the differences were insurmountable. Even 60 years from that moment, followers of Stone and Campbell would divide officially and become two different churches, Because some could not get over those things that were different. And for the cause of Christ, focus on what was most important. But until their dying day, Stone and then Campbell remained resolved that Christian unity was what their church should be about. That was what was important. Now, had it not been for that handshake on New Year's Eve 1831 in Lexington, Kentucky, there would not be a Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Norwalk, Iowa. That's where it all happened. And that's where we get the name: Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. The Christians coming from Barton Stone and the disciples from Alexander Campbell. And as far as names go, it's pretty clunky, it's kind of generic. Some have said it sounds a little like a cult, doesn't it? Disciples of Christ? I don't know. One person here in town asked me recently, now, are you a Christian church? And I, I, I just kind of looked, because, I mean, it's right there in the name, but okay, it's, it's a simple name, a bold name. Whenever we say our name, we're saying what we are about. We are about Christ. We can be about nothing else. We are followers of no one but Christ. It's a name that points us not back to who founded us, though that's important to remember, but points us back to who our church should be about, about Christ. That's who we follow. We are a Christian church, and that's all that matters. Now, what about those parentheses, though? I don't know about you, but that's actually what I love the most, about our name. I mean, who has parentheses? The Methodists don't have parentheses. The 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 United Church of Christ, well they get a comma every once in a while, but but we have a parentheses and that's that's kind of neat. But I think more than just part of the name, it's something that really defines us that we are a church of the parentheses. That is we're a church that knows what to make most important and a church that knows what to kind of set aside in the parentheses to put brackets around. There are a lot of things that we do as a church, things that we believe and practice, traditions we keep, that define us and give us life, but they're not the most important thing. What's most important that we follow Christ? And those other things, well, they're there, but they're in the parentheses. They're minor. The things that are major are what we focus on. We are a church that knows how to do that, to set things aside, to bracket them off if we have to for the cause of Christ. Now, I fell in love with this church, with the disciples in 2007, not very long ago, really. I was a pastor of a church of Christ congregation in Irving, Texas, a part of the Dallas area. Church of Christ, ironically, is that denomination that split off in the early 1900s from disciples, not the friendly United Church of Christ we have around here, but the unfriendly Church of Christ. that's kind of down in the south. Uh, But I had been reading up on disciples and became very intrigued. And as it happened that year, the General Assembly, the national body of the disciples, we're gathering in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had to go, and I made my church of Christ pay for it too. It was kind of nice, <laughs> but I'll never forget that first night at General Assembly. Sharon Watkins, who was our general, uh, is our general minister and president. Another clunky name from Disciples, but she spoke about the state of our church, and I'll never forget it because she was honest and bold. She was a she. <laughs> I mean, very few. Churches, we were the first church denomination in the country to have a woman as its head. And there she was sharing about our church, all the good and the bad. She was honest that it is hard being church in our world today. She told stories of triumph and stories where we fall short. She outline the different ministries of our church, what we do with Week of Compassion and global ministries around the world, how we are becoming a church that's crossing racial and cultural lines about how we are planting new churches everywhere across the country. It was an exciting time, and I wanted to be a part of a church like that. That was my church. I could feel it, and I left that day knowing that this is where I belong. It took three years almost to the day for me to work out all my Church of Christ baggage and make my way into disciples, but this is home. This is the church that I was looking for, and I believe we are a church whose time has come, that we are a church of movement in our world that our world is hungry for. Our world is tired of division. Our world does not want more churches to divide and and spread hate. People don't want a church that tells them how to vote or what to believe about various social and theological issues. People don't want a church that keep people from Christ's table because they don't confess the right creed or because they're not the right sexuality or because they're pro-choice or pro-life or whatever title they may wear from our world. Our world is not looking for a church that tells them why they're going to hell, a church that judges them because they don't have their beliefs and their life all put together. There is so much division in our world, so much hate, and our world is hungry for wholeness, for a church that's about welcome. Our world is hungry for a movement of people committed to bringing people to Christ table, no matter who they are or where they come from, united in the same love of Christ that we all share. This is what I believe our world is hungry for. This is what I believe Norwalk is hungry for, for a movement just like us, a church just like us, the Christian church disciples of Christ. And may we be that, a movement for wholeness in our fragmented world, in our fragmented community, as we welcome Everyone to the Lord's table as Christ has welcomed us. Amen. Amen. Let us come to the Lord's table as we sing. They will know we are Christians by our love.